der Heilige Spirit comes on us now. Amen. Great. Well, this morning we are still in our series of our identity. And as Christians, it's really important that we know who we are. And um, everything changed about our lives. The moment that we said yes to Jesus, absolutely everything changed. Our whole identity, our whole purpose, and our whole agenda changed. And we were given like new lenses with which to see the world. At the point of salvation, we crossed the line. And everything that the Bible says about you at that point is, is like conferred on you. That's who you become. And, um, and so we, we spend our lifetime working it all out. And over the last few weeks in this series, we've been reminded, first of all, that we're called and chosen, that we are loved and accepted, that we're both citizens and exiles, and that none of that was anything that we did by ourselves. It was everything that God did and God did for us. Uh, and we stepped into that. Um, we walk in this new identity because of what Jesus has done. Because he went to the cross for us. And the big giveaway is that today we're doing servants and ambassadors. But you might have spotted that already, that clue. So um, let's just have a look. I had a little look about what servants and ambassadors actually are, I do apologise for this next slide because I cut and paste really badly. Um, anyway, a servant is someone who performs duties for others, especially those employed in a house on domestic duties or as a personal attendant. And then an ambassador is an official representative or messenger. So let's look at servants first. The word servant covers up all sorts of Im images, depending on what your background is and you know whether you've got a sort of downstairs, upstairs image or whether you know, you've grown up in a completely different country and you have an, a completely different understanding of what a servant is. But whatever our understanding of servant is, what we do know is that someone that's a servant is in a lower position to someone that's their master. Agreed? Yeah, that's kind of how, it's, how it is. It's, there's, a, there's a person of power, and then there's a servant. And Jesus often uses the, power, um, the servant and master relationship as a way of describing, um, oh, sorry, as a basis of many of his parables. So, for example, in Matthew 18, this might get a bit complicated. I wanted to name the servants, but anyway, you'll see. For example, in Matthew 18, when Jesus is addressing the issue of forgiveness or more unforgiveness, we read about the parable of the unmerciful servant. In this parable... Jesus highlights the position of the power that the master of the house has because a servant comes to him with a huge debt and, um, and he throws himself on the mercy of the master and he says, I can't pay this back. Will you please write this off? And the master is merciful and he says, yes, I'll write it off. But at the same time, there is a fellow servant. You'll see why it gets complicated. There's a fellow servant and the original servant goes up to the fellow servant who owed him a little bit of money and says, I want that money back. And the fellow servant couldn't pay it back. And so the original servant had the fellow servant thrown into jail. I told you it was going to get complicated. You had to stay with me there. But you're all clever. You can do that. And then the master heard what the original servant did. And so he became angry and had the original servant thrown back into jail, thrown into jail until the debt was paid off. And then in Matthew 21, there's the parable of the tenants. And um, here the master sends the servants out 
to do his bidding. Then in Matthew 22, Jesus tells the parable of the wedding banquet and the master sends the servants out to do the inviting. You get more parables in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. And in each, Jesus is describing the relationship between a master and a servant and often honours the servant for their loyalty and their faithfulness. But also, within Jesus' teaching, we find that Jesus challenges those in positions of power and declares, the greatest among you will be your servant. Once again, affirming that the position of servant is lower than the position of the master. But Jesus took this relationship and fixed it. In Matthew 12, Jesus describes himself as a servant. And in Mark 10, Jesus declares this, even the son of man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The one that came, who we all worship and adore, didn't come to, to be served. He came to serve. Jesus took on the posture of a servant. He rejected the values of the world where position and power prized, and he flipped the values of the world upside down. His model wasn't about getting to the top his leadership model, for example, wasn't about getting to the top. It was about going low. So much so that we read that incredible account, don't we, of um, Jesus washing his disciples' feet. When Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, people think normally that, oh, he's shown great humility. He tells the disciples to do the same. You know, this is how you serve one another. And, um, and washing, washing people's feet was reserved for, that was what, that's what servants did. What slaves did actually you know people in those days would have at low your feet were on display they would have been dirty from walking and so the servants would have had to wash your feet before you all ate together and often people see that as a, a true picture of humility but i want to i would contend that actually jesus was reflecting more and more his deep deep love for his his, his disciples at that moment Further, in Philippians 2, we're told this. This is um, about Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The life of Jesus gives us an example of how we're to live. And we need to carefully examine the values that we buy into and see how they align with God's word. By this, I mean values like um, the value of having to be first or the value of just looking after number one or the values of prizing hierarchy, position and power. We may occasionally be first and we may even go through seasons where we need to do lots of self-care. You know, seasons of ill health, for example, we do need to look after ourselves. We may be in seasons where we have positions of power. None of those things are wrong at all. It's the value that we attach to them and the importance that we attach to them that we have to constantly just check. Is this lining up with God's word? So if Jesus was a servant and we are called to do likewise, then what do we make of the verse which says this in John 15? Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. 
For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. He did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Simply put, Jesus has invited us into a relationship with him. And when we're in a relationship with one another, we can share information with one another, we bear with one another, we work stuff out with one another. Just because we're friends does not stop us from serving one another. And I, um, I was thinking, you know, if you come to my house and you are a guest, I will serve you. I will make you drinks, I'll make you food, whatever, you know, I will serve you. I do not expect you to wash up or clear up, just to be clear, if you're my guest. However, if you are family, trust me, you have chores to do. There, we all pitch in, we all do stuff. And um, this is the family. We are family. This isn't a place where you're coming as an honoured guest. We are all family. So we all get to serve. We all get to pitch in. We all get to bring our gift to the table. This is not me having a rant about serving more. I'm not asking you to serve more. I am just saying that we're family. So we serve. Full stop. We serve one another. Um, and then ambassadors. We're also called to be ambassadors. As Christians, we have the authority to represent Christ to the world. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, one of my favorite verses in, in scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, I've even highlighted it for you, the new has come. All this in the form, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Understanding these verses is crucial to knowing our identity and our calling. These verses assure us, they confirm our new identity because we are new creations in Christ the moment that we gave our lives to Jesus. The old has gone. The past has been dealt with. It's been dealt No matter what the past wants to throw at you, in that moment, it has been dealt with. We spend a lifetime working it out. But not only that, we have been given a ministry, a ministry of reconciliation. That is that we're called to be ambassadors of Christ. We are called to show people Jesus and through Jesus that they are reconciled to God. We represent Christ to, where, to whomever and wherever we go. Wherever you are tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock, you are representing Christ. Just need you to know that. We all have different personalities. We all do it very differently. Those of you that know my husband, Tim, will know that Tim and I are entirely different in personality. You know, if we went to a party, you know that I will be out there talking to everybody, mixing with everybody, and Tim will be sat in the corner, nursing a pint, having a very intelligent conversation with himself. 
You're like, you, you know that, don't you? I mean, that, that's just a given. About three years ago, Tim started his current job, and he um, uh, it's a very blokey environment. He works a com- for a company that supports sort of behind the scenes for the Met Police. So it's a very blokey environment, lots of men. There's like lots of machinery and tools, and you know, he sort of mumbles about DeWalt and he mumbles about stuff and um, anyway so he starts his first his, his, his first week at the end of the first week he comes like well tell me about all the people you're working with yeah I want to hear about them and I, I don't think he could tell me anybody's name he managed to tell me his boss's name and that was about it and and after a few months um, I said have you told anybody I was a bit, I was a bit pushing I went, have you told anybody you're actually a Christian that you go to church he's like no nah. And because uh, and, I would have told everybody by that stage, you know that, don't you? And uh, he, but he goes, Jazz, I don't join in with the lottery though, because there's syndicates within his company and people do that. And um, and they ask him quite regularly to, to step in and do the lottery. And he's like, nah. And they've all noticed that he doesn't do the lottery. And then a little while after that, they, they pushed him a little bit because they're quite nosy, or Tim's not nosy, they're quite nosy. Like, what does your wife actually do? So his easiest way of explaining what I do is she's a vicar uh, rather than pastor because they were never going to understand. So she's a vicar. So they're all like a little bit shocked at this point. Anyway, it goes on. But what's happened is that over the, over the time that he's worked there, people have come to trust him and they disclose stuff to him. But like the other week, he was putting in his timesheet and his boss didn't check it. He just signed it off. And Tim's like, aren't you going to check it? And he goes, don't need to check it you're the only one in this building that's not on the make and you're just like what a reputation to have though eh? hey it's not bad but actually as his parent as other parents as his people as his colleagues tell him stuff tim has an hour and a quarter's commute each way to work there and back and um tim hears stuff and he has the opportunity to pray for his colleagues he has an opportunity in his car as he's driving to bring them before God. But that's, that's Tim's way of being an ambassador for Christ. I don't want to misrepresent him. He does not spend two and a half, hour, two and a half hours a day praying. But he does have opportunity to pray, and he does, because he's got time alone with God, and he can do it. But his, his personality is like that. Bit by bit, drip feed, he's, he's, he's who he is. I would be completely different. But actually, our personality should never get in the way of us being ambassadors for Christ. Today, we watched Tom get baptised. I hope most of you got to see that moment. Uh, But we all got to hear his testimony. And, um, And as Tom shared, it was such a powerful testimony, wasn't it? It was incredible. And that was his ambassadorial moment. He got to speak about what what God had done in his life. And then a little while later, we actually heard from Richard, who also got to speak about a moment of something that he saw God break into his life. We've all got opportunities to be able to, to say and to speak about what God has done. So what I would love to do is actually just now just to respond for a moment. And I'm just going to take you through a bit of a reflection exercise. That might be the best way of describing it. Um, What I'd like us to do is in a moment is to close our eyes. I don't want you to go from here not having sealed something of this, uh, sealed it in your heart. And I'd love you just to close your eyes and to just, just think 
for a moment in the last week where you have seen God do something. Now, for me, I was thinking about it this morning. I was like, this morning, this week, three different people have messaged me with specific answers to prayer. Like, just out of the blue, just messaged me with three specific answers to prayer. But actually, maybe you just saw an incredible sunset this week, and you just thought, yeah, that's God. Or maybe you just saw something else. And what I'd love to do is just to close your eyes, if you would just close your eyes. And just bring to mind now that that thing, area that you saw God at work in your life. Let it run around in your head. Let it meditate upon it. Think about it. Often we let our minds think about the negative thing that's happened or that thing that we shouldn't have done or that thing we shouldn't have said. That doesn't help us. The Bible tells us to meditate on God's word. We can meditate on the things that he's done. So in this moment of quiet, bring that to mind.